The following show will have explicit content, including descriptions of graphic violence. It's Thursday, January 7th, 2020. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. They were wrongly told their cause was righteous. They were told the truth belonged to them. They came to see their tactics as necessary, warranted, useful, and I think fun. None of that is true. The rioters' tactics weren't even tactical. It's been a day since a mob egged on by the enraged loser of the presidential race and propped up by the slithering opportunists or batshit crazy true believers who carried his water ran through the Capitol. We've learned more of what put them in that place. We've learned more about why, and we've learned some of the how. In dramatically phrased Twitter parlance, a supposedly revealing comment is greeted with the phrase, ooh, the mask is off. The nice thing about anti-mask extremists is that to them, masks are anathema in the first place. So they proudly made videos of themselves as they stormed the Capitol and surged past police. Some police, by the way, have or may yet to be proved to be supportive of the mob. Now here is Sam of InfoWars among a teeming crowd. As he's talking in this video, he is positioned outside, but on the steps of the Capitol. These cops are probably really scared right now, y'all. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them for being scared. Around him are scores of other insurgents, readily identified, and please do so, I say. These people, after all, are all felons, seditious felons. But let's back up. Not all the way to the birtherism allegations or elevator rides or network chairman declaring that a nation reality show star is too compelling not to train a camera on. Let's just back up a few hours to a rally held for the benefit of thousands of people who would soon storm the Capitol, break very serious laws, frighten a nation, and in four cases, die. At the morning rally, some of which was underwritten by you and me in terms of presidential security details and some elements of the staging, there was a little something for every member of the Trump coalition. Many were dressed in fatigues. Others took divine inspiration from the proceedings. But they were there to fuel their anger, an anger that was an emotion, but with a veneer of the intellectual, for cover. For instance, up there on the stage was law professor John Eastman. He helped file Trump's rejected Supreme Court claim, and he mentioned all these questions, so many questions raised by how the votes were conducted in the states, well, the states that Trump lost. Each question he claimed was more important than the last. He told the crowd that these questions all have answers, and the stakes of those answers could not be higher. And the American people know whether we have control of the direction of our government or not. We no longer live in a self-governing republic if we can't get the answer to this question. Rudy Giuliani was there emphasizing the urgency of now. So, it seems to me... We don't want to find out three weeks from now even more proof that this election was stolen, do we? And President Trump issued the call to arms. And after this, we're going to walk down and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down anyone you want. But I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. And we're going to cheer on 
our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Here was how that statement played from the crowd. This is a video taken from the crowd's perspective. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down. Anyone you want, but I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. And they all heard Trump say, Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. Among those who followed Trump's words, if not his actual presence, because he did slink away after telling the crowd he'd lead them, among those was a woman named Ashley Babbitt. Here is video of her as she walks to the Capitol right after Trump's speech. We are walking to the Capitol in a mob. There's an estimated over 3 million people here today. So despite what the media tells you, boots on ground definitely say something different. There is a sea of nothing but red, white, and blue patriots and Trump. And it was amazing. You could see the president talk. It wasn't 3 million people. The entire population of D.C. is 684,000. But fantastic overestimates of crowd size. That is a hallmark of the presidency. This wasn't the first rally that Babbitt witnessed before she walked to the Capitol. According to her Twitter feed, she watched a rally the previous day. There, familiar figures to Trump's conspiracy-minded voter fraud contingent appeared, and familiar conspiratorial claims were advanced. COVID is not deadly. There were recitations of resolve. And we will not yield. We will not concede. That from a guy named David J. Harris. You know him if you're deep into Trump world. You know this guy, Jeremy Liggett. He presented his case, if you like it, in chanting form. Patriots, do not comply. Fight, 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 fight. So that was the sentiment swirling around inside Babbitt as she took that walk to the Capitol. She wasn't among three million people, but enough people. As Sam, our guide from InfoWars, told us. He ascended scaffolding around the Capitol. We are taking back the Capitol right now, January 6, 2020. And here he is describing the crowd around him. People are ready to die for their country. He and his fellow seditionists rush past security and then revel in being inside the building. I don't want to get shot, I'll be honest, but I don't want to lose my country. And that's more important to me than, in, than getting shot. Now, at this point, let's take a moment to address the narrative that emerged in pro-Trump media since the takeover. Over on Newsmax, the constant refrain was that those who breached security were but a small percentage of the protesters. And once inside, they were mostly driven by passion, but harmless. Our InfoWars guy is laughing. Yep, he's having fun. At times, he's telling his fellow rioters, don't destroy things. One tells him, only destroy that which needs to be destroyed, actual quote. But he does note this. This is not a peaceful protest. This is not a peaceful protest. Now, the second big lie about the nature of the protest was voiced by Matt Gates on the floor of the House after he was evacuated, protected, and then returned to his position as a member of Congress. Some pretty compelling evidence from a facial recognition company showing that some of the people who breached the Capitol today were not Trump supporters. They were masquerading as Trump supporters and, in fact, were members of the violent terrorist group Antifa. Oh, no, we're not. Sam, from the Alex Jones conspiracy site InfoWars, needs you to know that. Be respectful. Be respectful. We're better than Antifa. 
Get in there! Get in there! Do your job! Get out! It's hard to figure and probably worthless to ponder what a lot of these people were thinking. They were a mob. A mob that somehow needs to be respectful and do a job and get out a job? To some, it was clearly like cosplay. To others, it was legitimate intimidation and they knew it. It was for many a joyful madness, a gleeful destruction. Here's one protester asked about being gassed and repelled from the Capitol. She lays it all out in a TikTok video. And what happened? You were trying to go inside the Capitol? Yeah, I made it like a foot inside and they pushed me out and they maced me. What's your your name? Where are you from? My name is Elizabeth. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee. And why did you want to go in? We're storming the Capitol. It's a revolution. The tear gas came out. The House filled up with this mob. And up in the House gallery, congressmen and congresswomen lay on the ground trying to protect themselves. The doors to the chamber were barricaded. Men with guns guarded them. And they awaited instructions about when to don the gas masks. Congressman Dan Kildee shot this video of the moment. Yeah, you'll smell it. <laughs> so they'll let us know when we need to put the mask on. Yeah, what? don't come, don't put your mask on. Okay. Yeah. The fuck. Take your pins off. Pins off. Pins, pins worn by members of Congress. In other words, taking them off is a countermeasure for the possibility that the chamber is about to be breached and that the mob might start identifying members of Congress in order to assassinate them. Dan Kildee was nice enough to speak to me about these moments and where Congress and the country goes from here. And after that, we'll rejoin our insurrectionists as they rampage. But first, Congressman Dan Kildee, up now. Dan Kildee is a United States congressman from Michigan's 5th District since Flint. And I want to note that while that is true, today he is also, let us think about it this way, a crime victim, possibly someone who's experienced trauma, who is right now figuring out how his legislative body needs to react to what we just saw, but also what we need to do in terms of the people who infiltrated the Capitol. He spoke eloquently about his experiences on CNN, and I wanted to talk to him today. Thanks for joining me, Rep. Kildee. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I'll start with my opinion. This all needs to be studied as a sociological and political phenomenon, but what it is now is a crime scene. The U.S. House of Representatives, your workplace, is a literal crime scene, and I do think it needs to be investigated as such. Do you agree with that, and what do you think should be done about these infiltrators and if they can be identified? It's 100% a crime scene. This was an act of terrorism. It was not a protest. There may have been a protest at some point during the day, but this was not a protest. This was an insurgency, um, an attack on the United States, an attack on our democracy, attack on the Capitol. And it has to be treated as such. There's evidence that needs to be gathered uh, and people need to be brought to justice. I didn't realize until I was walking over after midnight for that CNN interview exactly how extensive it all was you know we weren't we were in the middle of this we weren't able to see any of the reporting right um so i didn't know that it was hundreds if not thousands of people that were inside the capitol until i walked through and saw the destruction after midnight smashed furniture every window broken trash strewn everywhere graffiti 
in bottles and cans and wrappers that would be only attributable to many, many hundreds of people, if not thousands, occupying that space for some number of hours. And so there are, there are a couple of aspects of this for which accountability is going to be required. Number one is to hold the people who did it, who were there, criminally liable and use the fullest extent of the justice system to bring them to justice. Second, a very serious review of the failure of the security system, the security me mechanisms of, of the U.S. Capitol, which clearly failed and were not prepared for this. And then there's another, there's another level of accountability that I, 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 can't, I can't ignore, and that is the accountability for so-called political leaders, elected officials, colleagues of mine, who have fanned the flames of this, benefited and warmed themselves by the heat of that flame for months and months and months. And now that the fire has burned out of control, are doing all sorts of mental gymnastics to try to separate themselves from responsibility for a fire that they fueled, that they warmed themselves by, and now has nearly burnt down our democracy. I want to ask you about accountability from your colleagues, but first, have you thought about, do you worry about a mass amnesty for protesters? That is possible. Uh, Jimmy Carter issued one. He campaigned on it. It wasn't a secret going out of office. But, you know, the president doesn't have to name individuals. He could just say, name anyone who was involved in an action. Yeah, I mean, there has to be criminal liability and we have to pursue it. This is, there's no similar equivalent event. And this is one of the things that was, has really been frustrating, even last night, the tone deafness, which is a very kind characterization of some of my colleagues when we went back into the debate last night was breathtaking, breathtaking tone deafness, where they were making comparisons to, you know, what happened uh, on Black Lives Matter Plaza. Give me a break. This has nothing to do with it. It was nothing like that. There's no corollary. It's just nonsense. But this whataboutism that has been, you know, so much a part of the political dialogue is just allowed to pass. And it's just nonsense. It's ridiculous. And so this is a, a significant, unique moment in American history. The Capitol was attacked and encouraged by the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. how, how do we compare that? to people doing a sit-in. You can't. It wasn't a sit-in. This was a violent attack. It was an act, it was, it, was act, it was a criminal act. What does accountability look like from other members of Congress? I think, unfortunately, the only accountability will come from two ways. One, the long view of history has placed them on a list that they are not going to extricate themselves from. The long view of history is going to look very dimly on these pathetic members of Congress who whipped this thing up, who continued with it and voted for a confection that they know is not true. At the heart of this is this big lie about an election that was fraudulent. It's a big lie and they know it's a big lie, but they were afraid of, of violating the base and so they went along. So the accountability will come ultimately 
and the fact that their names are written in indelible ink on a list that they cannot get off of, that their children, their grandchildren, and everybody for the future will know. So three of those names, three of those names are your Michigan colleagues, uh, Tim Wahlberg, Jack Bergman, Lisa McLean. McLean just got elected, Bergman recently elected, but I'm thinking of Wahlberg. You've probably, I haven't looked it up. I'm sure that longtime members of a delegation co-sponsor some legislation together and work together. And I heard an interview that you did where you said when you were in your secure area, you couldn't even look him in the eye. So maybe instead of in general thinking about all the congressmen, I don't know if this puts you in an awkward position, but what about Congressman Wahlberg? What message would you say to him who you've worked with for many years? I can ask him to reflect and give him the opportunity to reconcile uh, what he's done, but I can only speak for myself and I'm only in control of what I can do. And I will say this in a way that reflects on both Congressman Wahlberg and the others, Bergman. Lisa McLean is brand new, came in. I'm giving her a little bit more space, but not a lot, but some. Mm -hmm. These guys know better. And they know this was nonsense. They know it wasn't true. And did so because they knew their base would punish them if they did. This is the ultimate breach of faith with our democracy. And so what I say to them and what I feel is that I can only speak for myself. And I can't pretend that I don't feel this way. There's nothing I can do. There's no mental gymnastics that I can engage in that would allow me to continue to look at them in the same way that I did before this. So it's not like I have, I'm not choosing this. They made the choice. They made the choice. All I'm doing is being a human being responding in a rational and logical way. There's no way I can look at them the same way again. Now to be fair for those Republicans, and this is not a Democrat versus Republican thing. So I probably shouldn't even use that, but because this was clearly not a partisan question. Because people like John Molinar, Fred Upton, Bill Heisinger, and Peter Meyer, who is a brand new member of Congress, this is like the first stuff he's faced. I will look at them differently as well, forever. Because when their moment came to choose between the Constitution and their fealty to our democracy or their own personal political gain, They sacrifice their own politics. They will pay a price, but it's a price they ought to be very proud of. I don't know, maybe they'll get primaried and maybe they'll lose, but I will carry them in a kind of esteem that I hadn't before because of this. And that is something that those who went down this path and stuck with it are uh, are never going to be able to have. The Senate lost about half of the sponsors of the decertification movement, not Senators Hawley or Cruz, but a few of the other ones, including Leffler. And you would imagine they made a different political calculation, maybe experienced some shame. But that dynamic was not present in the House. There were hundreds of people objecting to the will of the people, including, as we said, these three people, these three Michiganders who wanted to disenfranchise Michigan. Michiganders. To what do you attribute the difference in the Senate fall off of support after the rioters came through versus how the House reacted? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I think one of the differences between the two bodies is that the House is more susceptible to the immediacy of the moment. 
senators for lots of reasons, smaller body, longer terms, different culture, tend to give themselves a little more space and maybe take a longer view. That actually is part of the construction of our democracy that was intentional. It was thought that to have one body that is more closely associated with the immediate sentiments of the public, the House, that that would be important to include in the political conversation and then have this, you know, clearly more deliberate body, the Senate, take a different view. So that has a lot of benefits. But in this case, we saw House members, you know, measuring their political fortunes. And not to introduce myself into this, but I'm going to pay a price for this. But, you know, I was sort of, I'm a Democrat. I'm sort of expected to be in this space. But I have a very Trumpy district and we're already getting, you know, we're just getting all forms of hell directed at my office right now for the things that I've been saying. But for a Republican, it's even more difficult because they've got to think about a primary and a general election if you think in those terms. But here's the problem with all of this. And, and this is something that it's important to say. If all we do is think about getting reelected, we should find a different line of work. Do you really think it will hurt you and your standing? I mean, you've taken a strong moral. This cuts through politics. And I would think that even the, I don't know if it's Trumpy, but the Republicans that you represent would be appalled by actions like this. I don't know your district as well as you do, though. It's a pretty Trumpy district, you know, and Trump didn't win it, but it was just a you know, a few point margin. And again, I'm, I'm really not trying to go to the political calculus because I'm just not even going to think about it. I know that when the district lines are redrawn, my district's going to be even more Republican because it's the only place, the only direction I can go to add more people is into Republican areas. And I'm, we're going to have to add 60 or 70,000, maybe 100,000 people in my district. You know, my point being that it's not worth it to have this job if I have to sacrifice my soul in order to keep it. And there are some votes that are defining moments. There are some votes where you're walking over to the floor and you're having like this internal debate. Like, you know, I could argue both sides of this. What do I do? I really, I'm gotta, I really gotta think this through. But there are some votes that are simply a matter of conscience. That are simply, you, you just, all you, the only consultation you have to have is with your own heart. And this was one of those. And that's why I think they failed so miserably. Dan Kildee is the United States representative from Michigan's 5th Congressional District. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So when we last left our particular portion of the mob being documented by InfoWars' Sam, he was packed in with his fellow protesters shouting at police who had formed the line. Then the line gave. Sam wandered about the Capitol freely, shouting, documenting others who were shouting and walking down hallways and finding themselves in crowded cul-de-sacs and outside offices where some protesters started banging on doors. Eventually, Sam ends up in a tight gathering, blocked by doors, and fellow protesters were screaming at the police. We then see someone we've seen before, someone we've seen on the news. There's an American flag backpack on the lone woman in the group. It is Ashley Babbitt. She is stopped at a glass door, which is guarded by police, near the entrance of the Speaker's lobby. Now, reporting indicates that members of Congress were being protected there. This is the inner sanctum 
and security needed to be tight to protect our elected officials. A group of officers rush up the stairs and Sam tilts his camera to capture them. But once they get to the place of the doors, they don't point their weapons. They don't force the crowd to disperse. One guy in the crowd starts smashing his helmet into the glass door and the crowd pushes him physically and eggs him on. The cops on the other side of the door can't stop him. The cops on this side of the door can't stop him. One window crashes, it gives way. And at that moment, we see Babbitt jump up. She's almost through the window. And then you hear the gun, you see her body fall. One fool's break it down chant seems to catch in his throat. For the next few minutes, the narrator, Sam, he's screaming. Also filming, we see her as blood pools around her. Cops scream to the crowd to back off so she could be attended to. Guys, this lady might be dying right now. We cannot get we cannot get enough people to move for the police to get her out of the building. She's bleeding out on the floor. You saw the footage. She's bleeding out on the floor. And she's dead. InfoWars Sam then hooks up with another videographer who got even better footage. You may have seen his footage. It's of the plainclothes officer on the other side of the door who's actually doing the shooting. I will now play the last 15 seconds of this video as it played for me, as I experienced it, as I was trying to process what I had just seen. So much. I really need you to Climb to the top of the food chain with Alpha Power by InfoWars Life. For those who want to increase testosterone and energy levels. Most men know that testosterone levels begin to decline starting around 30 at a rate of about 1% to 2% per year. A garish ad, selling a faulty product to the enthusiastically conned, people who could be manipulated and monetized. It is, of course, symbolic of the toxic morass that brought all these rioters to Washington, brought them inside the Capitol, brought them to a place where they convinced themselves that they're doing America a favor by betraying it. Four people died in the Capitol yesterday, few minor administration officials resigned over that fact. The president has had his social media toys taken away from him, and he has glumly conceded that he will be leaving office on the 20th. There are 13 days until that, and sober-minded people are legitimately wondering if we could hang on that long. We've seen a lot more than one woman die, but today, I did see that woman die. And for what? What is she? A martyr to idiocy. She was killed, yes, with a bang, and also, yes, with a whimper, but most prominently as a lead-in for a blaring ad to try to get you to buy Alex Jones-endorsed testosterone pills. And that's it for today's show. Thanks for hanging in with me during these difficult edits. Shayna Roth, Margaret Kelly, Jasmine Ellis, Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. The gist... It's a revolution. Duh. Umpru depru dupru, and thanks for listening.